0: Hi everybody, I'm your host Alexa Von Tobel and this week I'm excited for you to meet Jeff Rader, co-founder and co-CEO of Harry's, the company on a mission to create exceptional shaving and personal care products that better meet the needs of modern men. Jeff has spent his career building companies and brands that people like more. Prior to Harry's, Jeff co-founded Warby Parker, the transformative lifestyle brand that offers designer eyewear at the revolutionary price while leading the way for socially conscious businesses. He co-founded Harry's in 2013 with his friend, Andy Katz Mayfield. Ten years later, Harry's become the leader in shave and personal care category as a number two men's shave brand that has reached over 5 million customers. Before Harry's, Jeff worked at Charles Bank Capital Partners and Bain & Company. He holds both an BA and Master's in International Affairs from John Hopkins University and earned his MBA from Wharton Business School. And with that, let's welcome my friend, Jeff. Hi, Jeff. So excited to have you. But let's go back to the beginning. Um, Let's start with Harry's. What's Harry's in your own words? And tell us, after starting Warby, how did you end up starting Harry's? What was that dynamic?
1: First, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's great to see you, Alexa. Second... Harry's is a men's personal care brand. Um, we think about trying to make products that makes people's grooming experiences better um, by delivering exceptional quality at prices that feel more than worth it. Uh, we started with razors and razor blades. Uh, the genesis for Harry's was my co-founder, Andy, went to a drugstore one day, overpaid for razor blades. I think he had to pay like $25 for four razor blades and some shaving cream. I was looking at his package. There was a picture of a razor blade flying over the moon. He's like, I just don't understand like why this is the way it is. Could we do something better here? Could we make super high quality products, deliver, deliver them to people of great value, do it online to start so we get to know people and understand their behaviors and build relationships with them, build a brand that just kind of like met guys where they are and try to do good in the community in the process. And so that was like literally the question he asked me. And I was like, oh man, it stinks buying Razor Blades. I would love something better for myself and was excited to go build that with him. And as you mentioned, prior to Harry's, I helped to start Warby Parker and Warby Parker is you know, a brand of eyewear uh, that I started with three close friends when I was in business school. Same situation, you know. Um, one of my friends coming to business school you know, said, hey, do you think you could sort of sell glasses online? Glasses seem super expensive. There's a like intense kind of purchase process to get them. Do you think you could just sell them direct online? Then at the time I had a $500 pair of glasses. My prescription had changed multiple times and I just was a student. I didn't want to spend $500 for, for new glasses. And I was like, gosh, I'd love a pair of glasses that I was just like proud to wear every day, that I felt said something about me, and then I could get it like a reasonable price. And uh, one of our other good friends that worked in the eyewear industry is like, you could totally do that. You could make glasses that were like the best quality, most interesting sort of shapes and forms in the whole world and sell them for under $100 and have a business. And the reason the glasses are so expensive is because there's this crazy markup that happens between you know when the products are made and how much when they're sold and we could just kind of get around all that. And so, we got really excited about that idea and we built Warby Parker. Um, And that's now grown to a business with, you know, a couple hundred stores and team of thousands of people. And we've donated millions of glasses. We give a pair of glasses away for everyone that we sell. We've donated millions of glasses, I think, try to have a big impact. And we took some of those lessons into Harry's, you know, can we just build a brand that people love that connects with people and where we're kind of obsessed about customer experience? Can we, Try to make amazing quality products um, that people are kind of proud to use every day. Can we deliver to them a really good value? And can we try to do good in the community? And you know, at Harry's, we give 1% of our sales to organizations that support men's mental health.
0: Jeff, you could have done anything after Warby Parker, truly. What was the aha moment that you said around Harry's that gave you that feeling of, this is it. I, I'm going to go, this is what I'm going to do.
1: So I'd worked in a private equity fund before I went to business school. And then I'd started Warby Parker when I was in business school. And the private equity fund that I'd worked for paid for me to go to business school. So I had to go back afterwards. And I wanted to go back afterwards. I really liked the people. So I was back doing that. But I was moonlighting at Warby Parker. I was like going to Warby Parker on nights and weekends. My co-founders, Neil and Dave, who who you know are like, you know, two of my closest friends, spending a lot of time with them, trying to kind of help continue to grow Warby Parker. And during that time, I was just having this feeling that like, I, I want to do something different. Like I want to build again. It was so much fun building Warby Parker and I'm seeing the impact we're having in the world with Warby Parker. I feel like I could do something again like Warby Parker, but I didn't know what that was. One day, my Harry's co-founder, I was sitting at the office and I get like a G chat, like ping from him being like, Hey, I just had this experience buying razor blades. And I was like, okay. And it was like, yeah, you know, like they were really frustrated. I had to wait for someone to unlock the razor case. And I had to pay $25 and I feel taken advantage of. There's got to be something better here. Could you take what you learned at Warby Parker and do it better here and do all of what I you know, just mentioned, build high quality products that are available to, people, available to people at great prices and start online and do good in the community. Like I literally remember sitting back and being like, I would want that for myself. Like, yeah, I want a better brand. I feel taken advantage of. Gosh, I don't, I don't know a lot about razors, but they seem like a few pieces of metal and plastic. I'm they're, sure they're complicated to make, Gillette's been telling me for years that they've got all the SpaceX age technology in them. I imagine there's like some magic here, but yeah, it just feels like there's a huge disconnect between sort of the cost to make a razor blade and the cost that these brands are selling them for. And I didn't know anything about razors or razor blades or shaving, how any of it worked at that point in time. I was just kind of like, yeah, I want that for myself. And I imagined if my co-founder and I both wanted that for ourselves, that there might be a bunch of other guys out there who would want that as well. And that, that's what got us started.
0: What did you do in that first six months? Like just literally learn and get up and running.
1: We had just decided to name it Harry's. And as part of the learning journey, I was trying to talk to everybody that I possibly could about shaving and razors and where they're made. And so I got introduced by someone to like the former CMO of Gillette or someone who, you know, a senior in marketing in Gillette. And I was, he's like, well, I was talking about the company. And he's like, so what are you going to call it? I was like, we're going to call it Harry's. And he's like, that's never going to work. And I was like, what, what do you mean? And he's like, shaving's all about performance, and Harry doesn't say performance to me. I was like, I know, but like, we're, we want to be warm and approachable and meet guys where they are, and like, that's kind of like how we want the brand to feel. And He's like, no, nah, that doesn't work. This is all about performance, this whole category. I was like, oh man, we just made the biggest mistake ever. And then right afterwards, I went to meet with Mickey Drexler, who at the time was the CEO of J Crew and was on our board at Warby Parker. He's like, what are you going to call a company? And I was like, we're going to call it Harry's. And I kind of said it quietly because I had just had this experience and I was kind of like embarrassed about the name. He's like, you're going to call it what? I was like, we're going to call it Harry's. He's like, I love it. It's going to be amazing. And at the time, Mickey had a speaker system that went through all of J. Crew and he gets on the speaker and he goes, I'm here with my friend Jeff. He's starting a shaving business. It's going to be called Harry's. Like, everyone look out. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, okay, here we go. Harry's.
0: From there, you bought a German factory to handle manufacturing. Yeah. How did you think about that decision? And and talk about it again, just like laying that first twelve to twenty four months, the big decisions that you make.
1: So we started doing a bunch of research into sort of razors and razor blades and like how the business worked and the industry worked. And a bunch of the feelings we had were totally validated. Gillette was like one of the most profitable companies that's ever been built in you Know consumer package goods. We could still build a business, make some money, and give a lot of money back to customers and have a viable business. Like, yeah, that was great. And they're like, then we started asking guys, okay, so in, in shaving and in shaving with every product in the market ourselves, and shaving what matters most to you? And they're like, well, I have to have a get a comfortable shave and a close shave, and I want my blades to be durable. And then if you can deliver me all those things, I want products that are much less expensive than what's out there because I feel like I'm being taken advantage of. So I started doing all the research I could on like where razor blades are made and how they're made and what makes a good razor blade versus not good. And I was deep, like late at night, one night, deep down, like a shaving enthusiast blog talking about where the best (laughs) double-edged blades in the world are made. You know, the blades that you like stick into a safety razor. And someone was talking about this factory in Germany that made some of the best double-edged blades in the world. There was another town in Germany that was known for making great knives and had a factory that used to make double-edged blades that had switched production to this other factory in Germany that that he thought made even better blades. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's a factory in Germany that makes better blades than the place where they make the knives in Germany? Like, I gotta go understand what that is. And so they had a website. then I was like, okay, how do I connect in? Like, I wanna get to know this company and maybe we could work together and this could be like the producer that, the partner that we need to make these blades. There was no set of LinkedIn connections that could get me to like rural Germany. And so I just emailed them and I said, I'm Jeff I helped start this company called Warby Parker. We've had some success with eyewear. I think there's a similar opportunity to to sort of take our model and do it in shave. You know, could we, um, could we chat? And lo and behold, someone reached out to me from there and said, I thought your email, I know about Warby Parker. I'm interested. Let's chat. And that kicked off like an 18 month process where we got to know them. We signed a deal with them to buy razor blades our biggest concern at that time was, so we tried the blades. We're like, well, these are good. Okay, like, great. All the research that we had done, you know, hearing about these blades, we actually tried them. We're like, okay, these are good. So we have a product that we like. But, like, we were kind of concerned, you know, could these, if we did a deal with them and it, it was successful, they could just sell the same blades to other people, and then we wouldn't have anything that kind of set us apart. And so we said, hey, like, we want to be kind of your partner, and we want you to be our partner. Like, and let's kind of go together and in doing this. And in order to sort of lock in a partnership where they – would not go do that um, we had to buy a million razor blades we went to Germany and we met with them and we toured the factory and it was amazing by the way I was like wow there's w- this is way harder than I thought literally make a good razor blade you have to change the metallurgical composition of steel you have to liquefy it and then harden it to a place that you can grind the right edge on it like it's really complicated wow like okay this is harder than I thought and we bought the million razor blades we didn't didn't have the money for it we signed the deal. We came back to the US with like a contract. We wrote the business plan like on the plane back. And then we went and started to talk to investors and raise the money. And then we were in business.
0: After you raised the capital, what do you think were the next, call it one or two really important key decisions that you made that set you up for this much success?
1: I think one was by calling the brand Harry's and wanting the brand to feel like it was approachable I think we made the decision pretty early in the brand that we didn't want to like pretend that we were experts. Like we're just kind of normal guys who are trying to figure it out just like you are. And so I think that led to like a level of kind of honesty where we're like in vulnerability, where we're like, we're on this journey. We're trying to get it right. We want to, you to have a good experience with our products. We're not experts. We're learning ourselves. Like let's share with each other and kind of be on this journey together. And I think that idea at the, at the sort of root of our brand has been helpful. And then I think also as we thought about then the other things, like we should just charge like pretty simple and straightforward prices, like $10 for a razor handle or like $10 for four razor blades, like just simple rules that guys can understand. We're not going to discount or mess around and just like kind of build honesty and trust in that way. Gosh, I think the other thing that we cared a lot about early on was just trying to make customers as happy as we could. You know, I was in an early board meeting we had all these launch plans that we were like walking through with our board and our board was like, awesome. I'm glad you're going to go go a lot of customers. How are you going to keep them all? And we're like, Whoa, we haven't really thought about that. And then we're like, but that's actually all that really matters. Isn't it? Like at the end of the day, like we need to make sure that every single customer that um, engages with us has a good experience. And so at the very early days of Harry's, like my co-founder Annie and I were doing customer service, like talking to people and learning from them. And so we tried to take all of that feedback and start to use that as our roadmap to kind of improve people's experiences. And I think when we've done a good job of that, and we have to do it with imagination and inspiration, but when we've done a good job of that, really listen to our customers, try to do what we think people are going to want, it's tended to work out pretty well.
0: For everybody out there that is either building or developing a direct consumer product and trying to figure out how you get in, how did you get into Target, Costco's? How'd you pull it off, Jeff?
1: Yeah, we always saw Harry's as a brand first. And I saw our direct-to-consumer sort of site, harrys.com, as our flagship store. And so our homepage is like the window to our flagship store. That's kind of how I would always think about it. But we were a retailer and a brand you know, early on. And the reason that we decided that it would be interesting for us to consider going to mass retailers because we would ask our customers again, like, well, how can we make your experience better? And people would tell us, hey, I'd like to be able to order from you. I actually really like to subscribe too because I could kind of set it and forget it. Interesting. And well, as a consumer centric brand, we actually probably then should be in the places where people want to experience our product. And That's what they're asking of us. And so we got to know some folks at Target. We actually were invited to speak at their design month and we met a bunch of their merchants. And I remember sitting in a meeting and having them talk about their customers as guests. And I was like, wow, what a nice term. They really care about their customers. We care about our customers. And we started to find other areas of commonality this idea of delivering high quality products at great value, you know, which I think a lot of retailers really care about. You know, as we talked to more retailers, like we were amazed by how well they knew their customer. We started building like a shared understanding of what people would really want in the store. And we said, you know, we should be there. We have a shared understanding of what they would want. Can we go do it in kind of a disruptive way? And I think, you know, for us, I think the things that were helpful in those conversations is that like we had a brand that was working for the customers. We had a lot of customers who were happy with Harry's and those customers were in some cases leaving retail stores to come buy us online, and the retailers knew it. And so I think that was really valuable in the conversation. We weren't like trying to do it from from scratch. We had something that was kind of growing, and we I think had a vision also for how to serve those customers differently. We came up with this idea to put a giant orange razor, which you know orange is one of our razor handle colors has been from the beginning. We put we took the idea to put a giant orange razor at the end of the aisle on the end cap, just to like try to stop people. And say, hey, there's something new down here. And then down here at the end of the aisle is this brand that delivers good quality and good value. And you can understand it's easy to shop. Like, that's got to feel better. And that was sort of the insights that we brought to Target. And I think that was, like, a successful model for us and for them. I mean, like, one of the things I learned about working with retailers also is, like, we only win when they win. They can turn the whole store into Harry's products. But if that doesn't help them sell more stuff than the day before or help them serve their guests or customers better, it's not going to last. Like, they need to do what's best for their business. And so... What was exciting is that we developed a shared vision and we could kind of win together.
0: How else do you get customers to share? How did you get that grassroots really ignited?
1: We've seen other brands launch with like um, kind of being invite only, like Guilt Group in the very early days in New York was this really cool thing. I it remember cool. so well, totally. Yeah, it was you, know, you kind of built this fun cachet around. It. You heard about it from another person. We like that, but again, Harry's is kind of a democratic brand, so I'm not sure invite only would really make sense for us. We kind of wanted to be for everybody. But we said maybe before we launch, what we could do is tell a bunch of our friends about this. We want our friends to tell their friends, but we should give them some mechanism to do that that's fun and interesting. And so we, we created this like kind of two-page microsite. The first had a woolly mammoth on it. That's kind of like our mascot. And it said, shaving is evolving. Don't leave your friends behind. And then when you went to the next page, it said, you know tell your friends about Harry's. And if you tell five friends, we'll give you a free razor. And if you tell 10 friends, we'll give you a razor and some shave gel. And and by the way, what we were also trying to do is get our product into people's hands so they could try it and then tell them other people how much they loved it. And so it served dual purpose. Um, and we did it. We launched the microsite. We probably emailed. I mean, we emailed everyone we knew. We we're like, we're launching this thing. It's called Harry's. Check it out. Tell your friends. Here's a microsite. We want to give you a first look before it launches. And after a week, we had 100,000 people signed up on an email list. So people wow. told their friends, told their friends, told their friends.
0: Obviously, in 2019, when it was announced that Edgewell was going to acquire Harry's, yeah. $1.37 billion. Walk us just through because that must have been just so much stress and yeah. so much excitement. So just give us give us a download on that.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I think first it was really gratifying to um, have someone value Harry so highly and think so highly of our team that they would want us to come be part of their company in that way. And the the deal was not set up as like a traditional kind of merge acquisition where they just buy us and then we'd kind of go away. We were actually going to take over their entire U.S. business and run it. And our vision at the time had been to be kind of a next generation CPG company and get to build and run multiple brands. And we were starting to march on the vision. We built Harry's. We were working on a brand in body care and hair removal for women called Flamingo. We're about to launch it. We had other ideas in the pipeline and we were going to get to accelerate that vision by taking over Edgewell's whole business and continuing to run Harry's as part of it. And so it was going to be kind of a new challenge. We had to turn around a bunch of brands that were frankly struggling a little bit, think about how to infuse some of the maybe more innovative thinking that we had tried to bring into Harry's and into the, that business. And then we went through the process. And I think to your point, like waiting around and then kind of hearing, hey, there might be some issues from the FTC with the merger and then having to kind of be in limbo for a while. That was, that was probably the hardest part. Definitely the hardest part. For us as founders, but more for our team, like we were trying to keep our team motivated, engaged, and sell this vision of helping to transform a much bigger company, which people got genuinely excited about when it didn't go through. Like we had to kind of walk that back. And I think the most important thing that we did, and we got good advice from our leadership team on this, was that my co-founder and I stood up and we apologized. We said, listen, we're super sorry. Not sorry that we did the deal, but sorry that we put you through this sort of you know period of limbo that's been really hard on you and hard on us and we have a really exciting vision for the future. The whole idea that we had was around building a next-gen CPG company. It might be more fun for us to get to do it ourselves without having to sort of combine with another business. And we have an amazing platform that we're building to go do that. And in the interim, our business, what had been kind of cool for us is Andy and I, my co-founder and I, have been focused a lot on the FTC and our business that was being run by our team was doing really well. Like, Like we just continue to do well. I think that was really helpful and exciting for our team. And I was like so amazed and heartwarmed by just like how our team rallied in that moment. And then a month later, the pandemic happened and we had to shut down the office, which in some ways was like just like another kind of, you know, like dip in the roller coaster. And in some ways for us, at least then at that point, every company was in crisis in some way, shape or form. And so we're like, yeah, yeah welcome to our world. It's like, you know, there's just more things that are happening that are a little bit out of your control that you're kind of working through. One of the things that was really helpful is it gave us a lot of great learning. There's always silver linings in every experience. You know, now kind of Harry's Inc., I've been talking about Harry's the brand, but Harry's Inc., our company, has four brands, has Harry's Flamingo, which I mentioned, which is a women's body care brand, a brand for cats called Cat Person, Uh, and then a brand called Lumi, which we bought earlier this, earlier, I guess last year, which is doing amazing, which is all over body deodorant. And so, you know, what's been cool is now we have this family of brands that we'd always thought we wanted to create. And they're all doing really well. They started online. They're engaging with communities in an exciting way. And while I think it would have been cool to do the Edgewell thing and to take over their brands, and it's a different path and, and a really fun path to get to, to start these brands, work with incredible founders to see them grow and kind of continue to move on
0: give me a prediction or two of what's clear you think that's going to happen over the next five to 10 years.
1: I think that it's going to be even more seamless to get products online. Like I imagine my kids in a couple of years pressing a button and having a product show up in 10 minutes for very low cost in a highly automated way. Like I just think that that is on its way. And so I would just assume that that's going to the barriers and the friction that exists with online purchases and then sort of delivery are going to continue to to be produced. You know, I think now there's like tons of individuals who are huge media properties. And what's interesting about that is like, it's very sort of natural, original, believable content. And so I think what people are looking for, okay, who are the people out there who I really trust um, for or who amuse me or I just want to follow or I'm going to be engaged with. What it's doing is it's making brands, I think, remove a lot of the veneer not having marketing be just like them with the, their message in the world, but trying to get real people in the brands, in the companies, talking about the brands, the like real customers, talk like in, in like much more direct and authentic ways.
0: And we'll be right back after a message from our sponsors. Alexa here. Not only do I get the opportunity to speak with all types of founders on For Starters, but I'm a repeat founder myself. We all know how vital fundraising is to a startup. Carta knows this too. That's why they had founders in mind when they created their fundraising suite, providing tools and support to take the friction out of fundraising. They save founders time and money, allowing you to focus on your goals, not the admin work needed to close a round. From simply issuing safes to quickly receiving funds, Carta Fundraising Suite helps their cap table customers raise a better fundraising round. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. I'm going to transition to you, Jeff. Give us your tips or tricks for how you've learned to self-regulate.
1: I think some of it is just like a little bit more toughness, I guess, in some ways. Like sometimes I feel like I should just feel more than I feel like I'll get good news or bad news and I'll just be like, okay. (laughs) Whereas before I'd be like, oh my gosh, I make a huge deal of it. And I think just like almost my natural reaction now is like, all right. And then I think I need to work it out for myself. Like, what does this really mean? And what are the implications? And what are the next steps? I walk to and from work every day um, and I usually try to like just kind of think during that period and I find that really, really, really helpful. It's also great to have a co-founder who I can talk to. Like, you know, totally. sometimes I'll him a call on my walk and be like, Andy, I, like, we got to talk through this. And I always feel better after those conversations, um, just being able to kind of talk it out with someone and have someone problem solve to together, empathize, et cetera. What's interesting, I didn't realize about being a founder, I'm not sure if you, you feel the same way. You're like kind of under a microscope, and people are constantly trying to gauge like, am I happy? Am I sad? Am I having a good day? Am I having a bad day? What does it mean for the company? Like, and I try to be as open as I can with people about how I'm feeling, but in a way that they understand it. So I might be like, hey, I'm having a tricky day. This is something that happened. It's going to be fine, but I'm working through it.
0: I love this fact about you. You were raised by a single mom, so was I, who started a company when you were 11. What gift do you think that gave you today that now that you're older and have kids and can look back in the mirror, like something special that left on you? What was it?
1: I think what I didn't really appreciate about my mom, I just saw the stress. And as you know, starting companies, stressful. So stressful. So stressful, especially when you're like not. And for her company for a while, the destination was a little unclear. That also like compounded and added financial stress, not just for her, but for a whole family. And I also saw it be all encompassing for her, which also seemed like she's working all the time. Like, why would you want to work all the time? And I think that when I took a step back and thought about it, the thing that I missed that I try to take forward for now is that she loved it. You know, I think about that a lot. I'm like, while it's stressful and hard and there's good days, bad days, like I am really happy You know, in general. Like I get to work with pretty amazing people and I think we're having an impact that's positive um, and get to kind of chart our own course and have something that I care so much about. And, that's cool.
0: You and Andy um, were both interns at Bain and really good friends, and then obviously jumped into being co CEOs. Give us just like the one tidbit for anybody out there who's thinking of co founding something with somebody, like your best piece of advice.
1: I would think of that as like an incredibly important relationship in your life and one where you should be comfortable. One, have like total trust with that person. It was great to start a company with Andy because I'd known him for a long time and I like totally trusted him. I think, two, being able to give each other lots of feedback early on. Like, and I used to sit with each other and just like talk, like talk it up. Like, these are things that are going great. These are things that are going less great. Yeah, and like really work with each other on that. And I think that just, again, like built even deeper trust. So I think finding somebody who is different from, from you too. I mean, you need to find like those compliments. I think if I found someone who's exactly like me running Harry's, honestly, it'd probably be a huge mess.
0: I wanted to just ask, what motivates you today? What, what do you think's driving you?
1: I don't feel like Harry's ever make has made it or will make it. Like we're making it every day. And I guess the way that I think about our impact kind of quotient, just vis-a-vis our customers maybe to start is how many people can we reach and how much can we make their experience better? And they say that they like us on balance more than the stuff, the products that they are using before. And that feels awesome. And so I'm like, gosh, if we can keep doing that, reach more people and play a bigger role in their lives... Starting with the Harry's brand, and you know, so I'm very focused on the Harry's brand right now, but then thinking about the rest of the brands in the portfolio, like, whoa, that would be pretty cool. And then, you know, we give away 1% of our sales to organizations that support the purposes of our brands. On the Harry's brand, I think we've given like $12 million to organizations that support men's mental health. We've reached over a million men. And so that feels motivating. And then I really love working with our team. We have like such a cool, talented team who just like want to do a great job and, it makes it fun for me to come to work every day. Like, I like being around other people. And we're in the office a few days a week, and I really love those days. Like I'm like, God, oh, this is like why I do it, because I get to spend time with these people working on interesting problems to try to do good for our customers at the end of the day.
0: Okay, Jeff, I'm going to ask quick fire round. Question comes up. You just tell me the immediate answer that comes to your head. The first is your favorite interview question. What do you like to ask people?
1: what's one common misperception about you? What's one thing that if I talked to a bunch of people about you that they'd say that might not be true or that I wouldn't hear?
0: A quote you live by or a mantra, like a, a quote, a mantra, something that sort of is like a North star.
1: It's not the years in your life, but the life in your years.
0: Oh, I love that. It doesn't mean I
1: don't want to live a lot of years, but I think it is about like, you know, sort of how you make the most of, of your time.
0: Is there a book that you've read that you feel like had a big impact on you?
1: I make our team at Harry's or leadership team read The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz, which I know a lot of people in the startup, startup ecosystem have read, but I really like it. I think it just like very clearly lays out a bunch of the complicated trade-offs you've got to make in, in running a company.
0: Biggest pinch me moment between Warby Parker and Harry's it can be a pinch me moment between either of the two that you've helped stand up and found where you like went home and like looked at your wife and was just like, I can't believe we pulled that off. What happened?
1: I think the day that Warby Parker went public and we were all on the podium together, the four of us co founders, and there was this moment where we all just like spontaneously hugged and someone took a picture of it and sent it to us. And I was just kind of like, this is cool. Like, this is cool. Like, who would have ever thought that like, you know, we would have gone from our apartments in business school with like this crazy glasses idea to like hugging on the podium of the New York Stock Exchange?
0: One category of innovation that you are currently most excited about that has nothing to do with Harry's or ancillary to Harry's.
1: One of my good friends is starting has started a company called Arrived Homes, and it's they're doing a cool thing where you're they're letting people kind of own pieces of residential homes in like new and unique ways. That doesn't mean you like get to live there, but you get to kind of be an investor in like a home in Arkansas or wherever, Ohio, or they're just kind of going around and buying these homes and then they'll rent them to people. But you get to kind of own a piece of it. And I just thought it was kind of a cool like home ownership being the American dream, and then you know some people don't actually want to like live in the home of they own. They just want to be owners of homes. And so I think they're just bringing it to life in kind of a cool way. So I thought that was a really interesting idea um, and it's doing well.
0: As a founder, as an entrepreneur, one thing you hold is sacred.
1: Our mission at Harry's is to create things people like more. And I think that like that to me is sacred. And when we're not doing that, I'm like, let's look, go back, look at, look at the wall and make sure that we are coming back to that North Star.
0: I love that. And it's like very, very accurate. Um, It feels like That is the core of everything that you're trying to do every day. Thanks so much for joining us today, Jeff. Everybody out there, if you want to learn more, check out harrys.com. And you can join us next week for Ink the Founders Project with Alexa Bontobel. Jeff, truly, my kids love your products. They like to take them all and take all of the soap and make bubble baths. We're rooting for you in every way. Thank you so much.
1: So good to see you, Alexa. And thanks for having me.